together. Oh gosh, where to tell you to go? Um, hey, let's go to Luke chapter nine. No, scratch that. Go to Philippians two. If you uh, grew up going to Bible drill, uh, you're gonna love tonight. Let's go ahead and uh, let you know that. This summer we were at camp, at a youth camp, and uh, in the adult Bible study time, um, Rob shared, uh, Rob is the camp pastor, and he shared uh, this um, findings from this study uh, that was done by the national, um, national, let me, I wrote it down, national study of youth and religion by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and um, they released a book, it's called Soul Searching, and um, they, it's, it's this big, thick book, and like most books um, that are like this, they spend half the book telling you um, how they did the research, and then then they kind of go into like what they found, and then like what they drew from the, you know, the data, and um, all this kind of stuff, and some of their findings, and whatever, and, um, and so Rob talked about this book, it sounded really interesting when I came back I got the book and um this is what this is what was interesting about it um on the screen uh this is this is what uh they they interviewed over 3000 teenagers and um these were teenagers who were involved in their churches um all denominations uh, all different uh different sects I guess you could say of Christianity um, they weren't all Southern Baptists. They weren't, you know, they, there was real broad. It was real, you know, whatever. But they, they did um, not just like a quick, you know, survey. Uh, they, they spent like 20 minutes on the phone with over 3,000 of these teenagers, and they talked to them. And sometimes they, they talked to them way longer than that because their answers were so interesting. And they did this survey and um, all over the country, all kind of different denominations. They went for teenagers who were involved in church. And this is what they what they deduce from all their research that this is uh, the kind of Christianity that um, teenagers in the United States who are involved in church practice. Okay, um, moralistic therapeutic deism. Need I say more? <laughs> no. Um, basically, to water it down, moralistic. Um, God makes me a good moral person. God makes me a better citizen. Um, Jesus was an ethical genius and was just had attained the highest form of, of ethical behavior socially. And so we should learn from him. We should look at how he interacted with people. And he teaches us how to, how to be better Americans or better citizens or better people in general. Um, that's that's what, what God does for them. Um, you kind of see some of this. Uh, coming from people like 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 Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, some of these writers who um, who tend to focus a lot on that side of Jesus's life, um, but uh, these teenagers are like no 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 like that's the role like God God makes me a better person um, the therapeutic part um, God makes me feel better God helps me cope with the the you know chaos of life God um, when I'm sad He makes me glad kind of deal. Um, 
a lot with their, their emotions and stuff. When I leave church, I, just, I feel better about the world. I feel better about my life. Um, he helps put my problems in better perspective, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, the moralistic, therapeutic stuff, we probably all agree that those things do kind of happen, you know, um, but they're not like the reason why you have a relationship with God. And that's what these teenagers were saying. Like, no, no, that's, that's the point. That's why someone should become a Christian. It um, helps them become a better person and helps them uh, with their problems. God makes me a better person. God makes me feel better. The last one is, is really disturbing. Um, deism basically is the idea that, that God created the world, and he is like a watch that he, like, wound it up, and now it just rolls on its own. And he is just as surprised as you are by 9-11. You know, God has no say in what happens day to day, no control over anything. Um, he's watching it just like uh, just like we are, you know. Um, so God has no real role in, in life anymore. And, and so you put all those things together, and this is what this study of 3,000 church kids, like involved in church kids sitting under the preaching of the word and being discipled and involved in and all the kind of all those things this is what they are walking away with from being tied to church god makes me feel better god makes me a better person i am basically in control of tomorrow because god just sits up in heaven and pulls his chair up to the edge and watches over and rejoices with us and is shocked at the bad things and all good people, when they die, go to heaven, that kind of deal. See, this, this is a product of consumerism right there. I mean, don't, isn't it? Isn't that what we've been talking about, you know? God's my therapist. What I can get out of it. But I'm in control of things. And so you look at it, and you're like, oh, man, the teenagers, the, the church kids of tomorrow, man, this is terrible, this is terrible. You know what else a study uh, found out? That um, across the board, overwhelmingly, the number one influence on a, on a teenager's spiritual life is their parents. Um, very distant second was their friends, and then after that was like youth pastor, ministers, preachers, whatever. So it's not the kid. I mean, they're getting it from their parents, and sometimes their parents are getting it from their pastors or from reading the wrong books, uh, which is, if I say that a lot tonight, I'm sorry, that was a lot about what this conference was, was like people read the wrong books, they listen to the wrong teachers, and they don't realize that like what these people are writing goes against scripture because their preachers aren't preaching scripture, and it's blah, blah, blah. okay. Um, but I mean, it's, it's very true. And so this is why like the relevance for this series, I think it just fits so well. Now, to my knowledge, none of our teenagers were interviewed. And I hope that they would be an exception to this. But my job is not to shepherd the United States. My job is to shepherd this church. And tonight we're going to finish by making three final points um, about consumerism. The first week we talked about uh, how we want things at a low cost. And Jesus says no. Uh, the second week we talked about how we want satisfaction guaranteed. And Jesus says no. Um, tonight we're going to make three other points. Um, the first one is that the customer is always right. Guess what Jesus says. Uh, the second one is that uh, we want it fast and efficient. 
That's what Jesus says. Third one, um, that bigger is better. And again, all right, so let's pray. God, uh, help us tonight in these uh, few minutes together to approach um, this topic seriously. God, I pray that we are bothered by the findings of that study. Um, but God, I also pray that we are encouraged because we know, we know the antidote. We know uh, how to be rescued from that kind of thinking. And it's simply you. You are the answer. And so we look to you tonight. We open up our hearts. And God, we want you to just, just to turn us over and to start picking out the things that don't belong. Give us the courage and the boldness to be obedient to whatever it is you stir in us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The first thing, um, that the customer is always right. Um, we basically, um, since that's like a part of the lens of being a consumer, um, it basically boils down, boils, boils down to the fact that we as the customer are the final authority on things. And this is why, um, you know, you go to Outback you get the 12-ounce special, Pittsburgh style, with the redfish sauce on top of it, with uh, the, uh, the fries, but you make them make it cheese fries with the awesome ranch and salad, which if I'm ever on death row, that might be my, uh, one of my meals. Um, you order it. You say, I want, it, I want it medium rare, okay, medium rare, and they always have to clarify. Now, our medium rare is uh, red with a little bit of pink. And this, okay, okay, I want a medium rare. Bring it. It's out back, okay? Steak comes out. You saw into it, and you're not happy with uh, the consistency of the cooking. What do you do as the customer? Because you're always right. You come over. You call the waiter over. You say, uh, "This I ask uh, medium rare, and this is clearly medium. And they say, uh, of course, right away. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get it fixed right away. Why? Because the customer's always right. You could have that. He could say, uh, tell, uh, "Let me go get our chef," and like, like Emerald Lagasse comes out, okay? Because he's having hard times. He's working out back to make ends meet, and Emerald comes out, and he's like, uh, "He's like, I hear you don't like your steak." You're like, "Yeah, I think it's a little uh, cooked a little more." And he says, "Okay, but like, you know, I'm I'm Emerald Lagasse, right?" And you look back and you say, "Yeah, but I'm the customer. Bring it back," because as the customer, you're the final authority on everything. That's, and, and, and this whole thing has, has kind of like, it kind of branches out a little bit where we, we have this, this ego that we kind of walk around life with where, where we don't like authority at all, you know? Like we have this love-hate relationship with police officers, right? We love it when they, like, arrest a bad guy. We hate them when they pull us over and say, do you know how fast you're going? We hate that authority. We hate for someone to say, uh, you were wrong, don't we? You hate that. We hate to be told that we're wrong because somehow growing up here, we've like, like it's been like just burned into our minds that we have these rights, you know, and you have this authority and you are like your own man and you are, you know, look out for number one, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of times whether we realize it or not, like we've become the final authority on, on everything to where we would disagree with Emerald Lagasse, world-renowned chef about the condition of our steak. We'll argue with the police officer who has the radar gun who's showing you how fast you were going. 
Because we don't like to be told that we're wrong, and we don't like that kind of authority. And so here we are. We have this, I, I'm the consumer, I'm the customer, so I'm always right. And we kind of have this attitude, and it just bleeds over into so many areas of life. We don't like that authority. We don't like being told that we're wrong, or we don't like being, being told we have to correct something. And that's, you know, that's fine. You go to Outback, you don't like your steak. All right, that's cool. But sometimes we transfer that into our relationship with God, and we, and we come up against some things that don't line up at all. Um, let me read you this real quick. I sent you to Philippians 2. Um, Matthew 28, verse 18 says this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, not to you. All authority, heaven, earth, given to me. I kind of wish he had said it like three times right before the Great Commission. You know, because we jump to the next part. Go ye therefore into all nations. And we, we jump to that, but we forget the part that that command is coming from the boss of everything. That's pretty strong. I'm glad he started the Great Commission that way. Because, you know, it reframes everything that he says. All authority is his. Philippians 2 Paul um, echoes this. It says, your attitude should be the same. This is verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Here we go. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, not you, him the name that is above every name, including yours, okay, and mine, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, okay, everything, Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if we, if we want to live these lives that are all about the glory of God, we have to realize that a part of that is we bow in authority to who Jesus is. So we see that when it comes to this issue of authority, we're on opposite sides of the river again if we're going to be consumers. We're going to walk through life being the final authority on everything. We're not going to be following Christ. And so, you know, we can look at that and we can say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. We see that any authority that's given to us, any, any rights, any perks, any, anything is given to us by the grace of God. 
You see, when when Jesus says to come and die, like we've been talking about, see, a, a, a dead man has no rights. And that's what's so crazy is that we want to come and die and also have all this, all these rights to all this stuff. See, a dead man has no rights except for the rights that are given to him by God. So, you know, heaven, peace, joy, um, all the things that God does give to us are given to us by his authority. We don't have a right to them, you know. We're not entitled. Nobody owes us that. We're owed an eternity in hell. (laughs) But by the grace of God, he gives us those things. And even those things are really just to glorify him. You know, we don't have peace about a situation so that we feel better. True peace is to exalt God, to where we say, praise the Lord, I have peace. Praise the Lord, I have peace. Praise the Lord, I have eternal life. You know, praise the Lord, I have direction in life, you know, all this kind of stuff. A dead man has no rights. And as dead men and women, we bring ourselves under the authority of Jesus which he has it all anyway, so we're kind of kidding ourselves if we don't. Flip over to Second uh, Timothy. This is important. Second Timothy 3, verse 16. So we solve the issue of authority and the customer being always right. But then there's that part we don't like to be told that we're wrong. We don't want Emerald to disagree with us because we're the customer. Look at this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look at that. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Sign me up for that. I want to go to that camp. But here's the, here's the, the thing. Like, there, there is a corrective element of discipleship that should fire us up. Like, we should be excited about that. Which sounds kind of weird. Like, yes, I can't wait to be told how I'm wrong. But that, that is a, a part of it. The formation of Christ in us is going to take correction and training and rebuking. It's going to, it takes all that. It takes that refinement. And what this says is the scriptures are a part of, of how that works. We fall under the authority of the word of God. And so when we get ready to train or correct or rebuke, we're going to do it in, like as it is in Scripture. So as a Christian, you better be ready to be told you're wrong, you need to change. And as Americans, we hate that. And in, this, in our like, very open-minded, um, everybody's entitled to their own you know, beliefs about stuff kind of society that we have, which is, which, okay, put that aside, but that's, that's where we live. Love it or hate it, that's, that's where we live. Um, it's, it's become so much 
like so much more serious because we're surrounded by it all the time. And so you almost get offended when anybody, when anybody says, no, 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 see, that, like your behavior, the way you're approaching this, uh, this part about your life, like you're, you're wrong. You need to stop doing that. You need to correct that. We hate that, you know, because we're programmed all the time that like you're okay and I'm okay and everybody's okay. And Jesus loves all of his children. Here's the thing. Jesus absolutely, 100%, says, come to me just like you are. I think so much of Scripture proves that. Come as you are. But we like to end the sentence there. But Scripture doesn't really teach that. It's really, come as you are, but don't expect to stay like you are. Come as you are. Struggling, hurting, Weak, frustrated, tired, sinning, (laughs) come as you are. But if you want to follow Christ, don't expect to stay that way. And I think it's important that we as a church keep that in mind. In fact, that we keep that near, near the forefront of our minds. And we're always going to have doors open. We're always going to say, come in. But we're never going to apologize for the fact that there's going to come a point where we're going to say, okay, let's, let's talk about this. We fall under the authority of Christ, both in our lives and as he is expressed in his word. And there's some things that don't line up. Let's talk about this. And so... We look at that and we can see that the customer is not always right. We don't like correction in the area of sin. We don't like uh, to be under that authority with life direction. Whether we realize it or not, sometimes we actually we practice that moralistic therapeutic deism. We practice that deism end of it where we kind of act like God doesn't have a role in everyday life. You know, that God is not um, holding all things together like Scripture says. That His Spirit is not in us and guiding us and directing us the way that Scripture says. So when it comes to life decisions, we just make them. People say, why don't y'all just decide where the church is going to move? Just decide. Like, no, we've only had a couple weeks to pray about it. Like, yeah, that's plenty of time, right? Well, we're, I mean, God's in, this is his church anyway. So when he tells us, we'll do it. It's that simple. And he hasn't, like, clearly told us yet. We're not going to be deists who are like, yeah, God's just waiting on us to make a decision. You know, we'll flip the coin. He didn't know where it's going to land either. No, it's his deal. Same thing with our lives. We don't like that. Even just daily interactions sometimes, we, we don't like to walk by um, a homeless person and not, it, it, like, we don't like that feeling after you've ignored them. I saw this in, in Seattle a lot this week. People walking down the street, and I'm walking behind them, there's a homeless person up there, and they, like, drift to the other side of, like, as far away, like, almost where the buses are flying. You know, they'd rather be close to the speeding bus than the homeless man who's just standing there. 
We don't like that feeling after we've done the same thing. We followed the, the lane of traffic that went around him. We don't like that feeling of guilt. You know, we don't like the spirit being like, I was standing right there. That was Jesus standing there. You give to him, you give to, to Christ. You, you just make eye contact with him. Treat him like a human. It's just like doing it to me. We don't like that feeling of like, yeah, you, you should have done better that time. We don't like that. Jesus says, guess what? That's a part of it. And we say the customer is always right. Jesus says, no. We got to keep on or learn how to or something. We have to get to the point where we can say my life is not my own and our lives reflect that. Um, where we can say Jesus Christ is Lord and when we can stop undermining his authority in little ways and big ways. We have to learn how to say, uh, what would Jesus do? And at the same time, be willing to change from the inside out to where that really impacts the way we live. The customer is not always right. We're under the authority and the correction of Jesus Christ. The Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the God-breathed scriptures that we have. And those two things together guide and govern our lives. All right, second thing. I know I'm kind of moving fast, but it's on purpose. Second thing, you know what? What I've just said, that might be like the for you thing tonight. These three ideas are kind of separate and they're kind of connected, but that might have been the for you. You might be like, I came because that's exactly what I needed to hear. Or maybe it's this next part. We want things fast and efficient. It's interesting because um, like in our day-to-day life, um, we kind of, we equate um, having to wait with inefficiency. Wouldn't you say that? You're in traffic, having to wait. Why? Because some inefficient uh, engineers design these traffic signals. They don't know what they're doing, despite their years of training. I can't tell you how many times I've, like, hated the fact that I live on the other side of uh, the Segan I-10 like interchange because I think it's the worst, most poorly designed thing where the where the Walmart is and how you can't you can't get to it some ways you know before I lived on the side of town I did so many like have to drive down to like the Winn Dixie and turnarounds and it's just terrible. So I think there's inefficiency because like I have to wait too long. It's, re- it's really why I think we have this love hate relationship with with our like fast food experience. Keep bringing everything back to food. It's probably not good. Um, you know, you go into a fast food place, you place your order, and like instantly they're like handing you the bag. And you're like, that is efficiency right there. Efficiency, a perfect example. You go in, you place your order, and you look down, there's like 19 other people waiting with their little Taco Bell number, you know. And you're like, oh, this is not good. And so... Anything we have to wait for, we think is inefficient. Anything that's fast is efficient. It's kind of how we like, how, kind of how we look at, at life. And so, when things are inefficient, we kind of react one of, of two ways: uh, we either quit or we take control. Like, I, I really, I want you to raise your hand when I ask this: How many of you have ever, like, been in a fast food drive-through line and? 
got so sick of waiting and so frustrated, you just, just left the line. Let me see your hands. Word up. Thank you. Um, let me see. And I want you to answer this one honestly, too. How many of you have, have ever, you placed your order, okay, and pulled up and got so sick of waiting that you didn't care that the people behind you, like there's going to be this mass confusion with, like, where's this missing order? How many of you have just driven off even that situation? Okay. Awesome. We're going to have a, a support group that's going to start to meet. Um, so we either do that, we just quit, or we, or we take control. And, and you make this kind of statement. I will never go to Arby's on Segan again. Or if you're really mad, you just boycott the entire franchise. You know, people trying to say where to eat. Hey, I'm thinking Arby's. And you're like, no, no, I'm boycotting Arby's. It's lifetime Lent for me and Arby's. No more. We quit or we take control. We're like, I will show Arby who is boss. I'm the customer. You'll never get my money again, Arby. And that's, that's sort of the deal. Um, turn to Luke chapter 9. So once again, you know, we, we start looking at this and we transfer this into following Jesus. And there's this uh, big problem that we run into. Discipleship is slow. It is painstakingly slow. Luke 9.23 is kind of where we've looked a lot lately. Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, which is discipleship, kind of in the sense we're talking about it, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That daily part, we don't like that, right? Because, like, anything, like, it just, it seems inefficient. We want something that's going to happen quickly. John 15, when it talks about abiding in Christ, that idea, the word abide, or it says remain, um, to set up camp, to fully dwell somewhere. It's not this temporary stop, you know. It's not a Sunday to Sunday kind of, of thing. We're talking about a daily discipline of life. All throughout Scripture, it, it, it makes it very, very clear that if you want to follow Christ and you want Christ to be formed in you and you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and to follow him and to walk in his ways and imitate everything about him and to where over time, like, that is formed in you, it's going to take a while. Let me read you this. It'll be up on the screen. Second Corinthians 3. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, here we go, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Ever-increasing glory, ever-increasing transformation, daily, daily, abiding, daily, abiding I'm telling you, if you want to follow Christ, we've got to get rid of this fast and efficient, fast and efficient um, like mentality. Because it's not going to happen fast. See, all the time, we, we get frustrated because we're so just pragmatic about stuff. We see certain things not working, you know? Like, like 
like reading scripture, like time in the word each day. Right? We, we don't read it slowly and prayerfully, and we don't meditate on it, and we don't really like just camp out there and, and allow the Spirit to infuse it, like teach me something from this. I, whatever, however long it takes, like bring one word out, you know. I mean, like just, no, 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 no. We read it, we skim it, right? We look for information, you know, like it's the newspaper or something we just kind of skim through and hit the high points, you know. Kind of like the uh, emails from the ring. I said, well, that's what we're trained to do. You go to college, they give you all these books to read. You're like, yeah, right. I'm not going to read these books. You hit the high points. You study for the test. You read the bold sections. Or if it's a used book, what other people have highlighted, you know. So that's what we do. We, like... Meditating and spending time in the Word is inefficient to us because everything's got to be fast. We don't like slow. So we either quit, you know, and we make it to like January 3rd and our pledge to read our Bible every day or, you know, whatever. We either quit or we take control and we're like, oh, you know, whatever. And sometimes taking control is we just go get a book where somebody like writes about the Bible and, you know, whatever. And that can be slippery too. Or, or think about prayer. Prayer seems so inefficient, doesn't it? You know, like we're used to like I have a question, I want an answer, so I can get on the internet and pretty fast I can get an answer to my question. Most random stuff ever, you know, we we get instant access to. And so we don't like to pray because it seems inefficient because prayer is slow. And if we don't, you know, after two or three prayer sessions of needing an answer from the Lord, if we don't have it, we either quit praying. Or we take control and just make a decision on our own. So we may not realize that that fast and efficient mindset of a consumer fits in our walk with the Lord, but, but it does. It definitely does. Let me read you this. There's this book that we're kind of using to guide the uh, community group material. And it's based off of a quote from Nietzsche. You know, every good sermon needs a Nietzsche quote. <laughs> Uh, It says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. It's a lot of insight. A long obedience in the same direction. Daily denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. Daily with ever-increasing glory being transformed into his likeness. It is slow. That is God's plan. Do not quit. Do not take control. Embrace the slowness. All right. Last thing. Turn to Matthew 25. This last thing was re-emphasized at, uh, to me and to uh, a lot of us at the Passion Conference a couple weeks ago. And uh, a guy named Francis Chan really put it into words so well what I just couldn't figure out how to say. And uh, God's used that in my life and I think a lot of our lives, those of us who were there. Here's the thing. The last point is we, we think bigger is better. And... Uh, MTV's Cribs is a great example 
of, um, of what I'm talking about. Um, as if you need, as if that show should even exist, you know, like you need a house like that, you know, like it's just insane. But that's what we're convinced of is that like bigger is better. And so we always want, you know, bigger house, bigger cars, bigger salaries, um, not bigger cell phone, but bigger um, capacity to hold, you know, information on the cell phone. We don't want a bigger iPod. We want a smaller iPod. We want it to hold more stuff than the big one held. Um, you know, just everything, there's just bigger is better mindset. And what happens without us realizing it is that um, we become really dissatisfied with the things that we have because either, like, out of comparison or by like some ridiculous standard that's been set by culture that we've kind of bought into because we listen to kind of the wrong voices sometimes, um, we become dissatisfied with what we have and we see it as deficient. You know, you look at what you drive and you look, it's deficient. It's not big enough. It's not cool enough, whatever. My house is not big enough. I don't make enough money. I don't, you know, whatever. And so we end up like with this real like just dissatisfied deal instead of being like, I cannot believe that God has blessed me with something to drive that gets me where I need to go, you know, praise the Lord for this gift of grace. Um, we're just, just this, oh, yeah, I wish it was more, I wish it was more. So you transfer that into our walk with God, and this is, this is what Francis Chan said that was so cool. Um, he was talking about how, how we, we all want to do these big things for God, you know, you, you hear these stories about these, um, you know, missionaries who are able to go into these unreached people groups and they somehow, trans, you know, they, they spend 10 years learning the language of the people and then they translate the Bible into their language and then all these people like get saved and a whole nation just becomes this big revival breaks out or whatever. And we look at that and you're like, I want to do that with my life, you know. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs or, or uh, Jesus Freaks, uh, for those uh, of us who are younger, and um, you hear these stories about these people who die, these horrible deaths, you know, and they're burning alive and they're singing hymns of praise to God as they're burning. You're like, yes, I want to die like that. I want to go out like that. Bring a gunman in somewhere and say, I'm going to shoot all the Christians. I'll stand, you know. I'll be that, that guy. I'll be that girl. I want to do big stuff. I want to go on big mission trips. I want to... Like, we just want to do these, these huge things. We want to have that prayer life that can, is just, like, just so on, on fire. We want to memorize the entire New Testament in Greek, you know. We want to do all these big things. And um, this, this was his example. He, you know, 6,000 college students, and he said, college students are absolutely insane. He said, and this is, this is how insane I, I know that you are. He said, I could, have, I could say right now from the stage, I have a plane that is waiting at the airport. I can take 200 of you. We're going to go to Mongolia where um, we know that there is, um, like, there's child uh, prostitution, forced prostitution going on. Um, we have connections there. We're going to go and we're going to raid all these brothels and rescue all these kids um, from this terror that is there. We're going to basically change their lives, save their lives. They have places that are awaiting there to take them, to shelter them. The government um, is not going to be able to protect us. Some of you might die. I need 200 people to go. Let's go. No packing, no warning, no passports needed. Let's just go. He said, and I know that I would have way more people than could fit on the plane. Of course, the whole crowd's like, yeah, let's go. I hope he's not kidding. Let's go. And then he, then he just, oh, so perfect. He said, but the sad thing is, he says some of the very people who would be the first on that plane will not get up tomorrow 
and read their Bibles. I will not spend time tomorrow in prayer and connection with the Lord. And the whole room, like nothing, nobody moved. Chills, you know. Matthew 25, this is the verse that he used. And I think there's a lot more to this text than what this verse points out. But there's a big principle at play. It's a parable of the talents. Um, guy has some servants and he gives one five talents. One, like, just say dollars. Five dollars. He gives one two dollars. He gives one one dollar. says, I'm going to leave and I'll be back in uh, whatever. And the one with five doubles his money. Uh, goes, puts it to work. Not gambling, but, you know, goes to work. And uh, one with two does the same thing, goes to work, doubles his, the money that he gave him, and the one that has one goes and buries it in a hole. Master comes back, and uh, this is his response to the one that he gave five. So his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, this was... Francis Chan's point. So we we want we want to jump right to the big stuff. But God doesn't work that way. God says you be faithful in the small things. And that'll lead to more and to more and to more. And see like last Sunday, you know, like I was I was all excited. You know, because we announced, like, we're moving, and, like, everything was good, and we sang, you're the God of the city, and we sang it, and it was great, and everybody was pumped, and I was kind of worried, but after people were like, I'm so amped, this is great, everybody's all excited, you know, and I started thinking about this, I'm like, all the, the big dreams that I have for the ring, and all of us have for the ring, and I'm not, don't sound like some visionary or whatever, but, like, all of us, we have this desire have this impact and do all these and do all this kind of stuff and jesus was like so you're gonna spend time with me tomorrow what about what about next sunday what about all the time between now and whenever some of those dreams start to come true are you going to be faithful in the small things as if all of us being ministers of the gospel is not enough you know like, that's not the biggest thing in the world. So as an individual, I'm called to be faithful with what, with what he has given me. And corporately as a church, we are called to be faithful to the things that he has given us. And so, bigger is not better. Faithful. Faithful. That's it. The thing is, going back to what I randomly said at the beginning about that term capella and being on opposite sides of the river, I think just to draw all this consumerism stuff to a close, I think sometimes when it comes to consumerism, here we are on, on our side. Jesus is there on the other side. There's his kingdom. This is our kingdom. And I think what consumerism really comes down to is we try and say, hey, Jesus, I need your help over here. And Jesus says, 
that's not how it works, and, and you know that's not how it works. So Jesus says, once you deny yourself, once you come over here to my kingdom, I got this big crossbar. So whatever the day holds, greatest day of your life, worst day of your life, you're following me. You're letting me be your God. You're, you're literally walking in my footsteps today. And see, what abiding in Christ would, would be that we, we never leave his bank of the river, ever. You know, that would be that remain and that, you know, abide here, set up here, fully dwell here, live here forever. But the thing is, like, I, I, know, I know myself and I know what it's like to live here, and Jesus does too. And so I think where that word daily comes in is that we kind of have to treat each day as if we wake up on our side. And so every day we make that conscious effort to not be capella on opposite sides. But every day we deny ourselves and we leave our kingdom and we go over to his side and we take that crossbar and we say, all right, what, what do you have for me today? I'll be faithful with this, what you have for me today. I'm not going to set this ridiculous thing of, of I'm never, ever going to mess up for the rest of my life or whatever. Today I'm going to abide in Christ. I'm going to remain in Christ. I'm going to stay connected to Christ because I want God to be glorified through my life today. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to do the same thing. That's how we are producers. When we take what he's told us seriously and we apply it. And I don't know if you're, if you're just kind of tired of that back and forth life or up and down or whatever. And you're just like, look, I'm, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of whatever that's the thing is it's going to be every single day Luke 9:23 lived out that's how we are faithful with a little bit and that's what leads to the glory of God which is our greatest dream come true I don't know where this fits into your life only God does I'm going to pray the band's going to come I'm going to sing a little bit you respond however you want to um, we don't do a come forward invitation. The word is out there. And you just let God speak to your heart in our closing time together. Let me pray for us.